Hey, everybody. Welcome to Artist Soapbox. Artist Soapbox is a podcast featuring triangle area artists talking about their work, their plans, their manifestos. I am your host, Tamara Kassane. Seed Art Chair focuses on site-specific immersive plays, arts integration classes, and supporting parents working in the arts. My guest today, Renee Wimberly, is the creative director of Seed Art Chair. Many listeners have suggested that I interview Renee Wimberly on the Artist Soapbox podcast. I'm so grateful that it's finally happened because she's amazing. In this episode, we talk about the creative ways that Seed supports parents working in the theater, the many partnerships between Seed Art Share and other organizations, including theater companies, nonprofits, government, and businesses. And we talk a lot about the wide range of site specific and custom work produced by Seed Art Share, including the exhilaration, the complications, and the acting style required by these immersive performances. You'll hear about rat pinatas, parades, vomit, the Doppler, fairies, dead Macduffs, a flying fork, and more. In addition to being creative director of Seed Art Share, Renee Wimberly is an actor, director, playwright, and teaching artist with a bachelor's degree in theater arts education from UNC Greensboro. A former K-12 drama teacher, Renee is passionate about arts integration and training parents, teachers, and ministry leaders to enhance their learning environments through creative arts activities. Renee has participated in the local theater community for over 35 years. She lives in Garner with her husband and three children, who she homeschools. Enjoy the episode. Hi, Renee. Hello. Thank you so much for being here. We are talking today about Seed Art Share. Would you tell us why you started the company? Yeah, sure. Um, back in 2009, my husband and I had been married for a while. At this time, we had three kids. And before we had gotten married, we had both been artists. I was you know, doing a lot of theater, and uh, that was my background. He was a musician. And we decided after, at that point, we were working in children's ministry. I was working in kids' ministry. And we were getting restless in the sense that, you know, we we had been a part of really com- creative arts ministries, but felt like we want to be back in our in our space. And it doesn't mean not doing ministry. It just means we want to be able to love on artists and see what that looks like back in the world where we were. And so uh, we met with a bunch of friends that, you know, were similarly minded and uh, I started auditioning again. Joe started playing out a little bit. And we realized that it was a completely different experience now that we were 30-something <laughs> with three small children at home that when we had been 20 and could just, you know, work a full day job and then go do a show at night or play a gig all night long and then get up and go to work the next day. And we were like, how in the world do people do this with the family? especially when you like like your family and you want to hang out with them and you want to like raise your children and stuff. And so not that it can't be done, but it couldn't be done by us. And then we realized, okay, how do we, rather than just being actors or musicians in the community, is there is there something that doesn't exist yet where we could come alongside other arts communities and 
fill in a gap there so that we know that people have an opportunity to work with with their tribe, with their best friends, with the people that they love, with their kiddos, um, with their partners and spouses, you know, those people that you fell in love making theater together and playing in bands together. How do we not all then go 50 separate ways after dinner to different you know, shows. Yeah, you because know, we realized there were projects that we would do where I would be in a show across town and he was in a show across town and we never saw each other's right, work. Right. And that stunk. Right. So uh, so we were trying to figure out how what what could that possibly look like? And um, at that time, it was not at all on our radar to actually make plays as far as seed was concerned. We just wanted to to partner with other organizations and see what that looked like. And we approached, uh, at that time, I had been doing a show with JTP, and uh, I remember it was July 9th, 2009. I talked to Deb Royals at JTP and said, I've got this crazy idea. And I knew, you know, she was a mom, she had kids. And I'm like, I don't know what this looks like, but surely you feel it too. Mm -hmm. And how can we, uh, how can we, can we do something where kids and families are involved in the projects that their parents are doing, and vice versa. Mm-hmm. You know, we have all this great kid theater, but the parents don't know each other necessarily. How can we bring, build this community uh, in, a, in a different way? And so, um, you know, we brainstormed some things as a group, and it started with us going to JTP on their Sunday matinees. One thing that I had learned a lot as just from my ministry training was Grown-ups are learning one thing. Kids are learning one thing. Well, how do we make sure that we're all talking about the same stuff in the car on the way home? Mm-hmm. And so we were able to, uh, in an age-appropriate way. So we started partnering with JTP and going to their Sunday mats and writing curriculum that would go along with the themes or uh, the idea or the style of the show uh, that may not at all be a kid-friendly piece. Right. But then when the kids left and the grown-ups left, they had had a, quote, shared art experience uh, that they could talk about. And whether the kid built a craft or, you know, whatnot, they could they could talk about it together. And it enabled grown-ups, single parents, whatever, folks to be able to go to the theater and not have to have a babysitter because <laughs> that's not awesome either. Right. And know that if you were an actor, you could be in a show and bring your kid if you were a patron and knew, okay, this is a day that we could actually go on a date, go figure, and bring our kid to the show. And JTP has been a huge supporter of us for six, seven years now in that we are pretty much booked for all of their shows for their Sunday matinee, mm-hmm. you know, for one one Sunday matinee for each project, which has been really cool. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. So in addition to the partnership with yeah, Justice yeah. Theater Project, how else has Seed Art Share evolved since 2009? It was cool. Um, we wound up expanding that. We call that program Share the Show. And uh, we wound up expanding it into rehearsal care. So um, we would work with Bayer if they were doing a show out at the amphitheater at RLT. We would go in and set up our little portable green room, which, you know, is a canopy with a bunch of crazy junk in it. <laughs> and if there were families that had kids, um, but the grown-ups were in the play, they could come check their kids in with us and know that we were going to have a team there that had a pretty structured schedule. Um, we, don't, we don't do child care, and we don't like to call it that. I'm a teacher, and I'm a curriculum writer, so I believe everything is a learning experience. Mm-hmm. Uh, so we would, we would 
if it was a Shakespeare show, we would do games that, you know, something that had to do with the theme of the show. I remember doing, uh, was it Comedy of Errors? They had a big circus theme and uh, and we, we did all kinds of circus activities and, and fun things with their littles. And so, yeah, so we would spend our summers when Bear was in the amphitheater. We were in the amphitheater, too, hanging out with our kids. Uh, in 2015, we did a Midsummer Night's Dream out in the Rose Garden at RLT. And um, we've, you know, been very blessed to, I've worked at RLT since I was a child. Mm-hmm. And uh, and so very grateful to be able to partner with those guys. And at the same time, Bear was doing the Scottish play in the amphitheater. We were doing Midsummer in the Garden. And they needed, you know, dead Macduffs. And we needed fairies. <laughs> like and, you do. Like you do. Right. And we were like, Perfect. So we put it out to all the parents and said, you know, we knew we had couples working in the show. We had all kinds of, of uh, generations on campus and said, let's play together. How do we do this? Bring your kids and they can be dead McDuffs in your show and they can be fairies in our show. And so the kids went back and forth. Um, it was the most fun summer. It was nuts. And we had 15 kids uh, in, in midsummer. I mean, they had a bunch in theirs, and but literally the littles went back and forth, and so it was great because the the I remember walking in the garden, and I wasn't in the show; I was just producing it. But but my children, two of my kids were in it, and one of my kids who is like not theater inclined nor interested at all, he's an athlete. His gig was to show up with the frisbee, mm-hmm. and when the kids had a break. His job was to play Frisbee, mm-hmm. <laughs> and it was awesome. But it was, I remember walking through the garden one day going, this is what I, you know, when I die, this is what I want my funeral to look like because it was, there were generations of my teachers and our kids and my kids' teachers, and, you know, it was it was kind of creepy in the sense that everybody was connected through the years, but we were all having this same cool experience Mm -hmm. together uh, that that I will never forget as long as I live. It was still one of the greatest experiences ever. So the company's name is Seed Art Share. Is this where the share idea comes in? So so when we when the share piece came, we you know, we started with this idea of shared art experiences because we wanted it to be something that you could share with your people, whatever that looks like. We did a lot of New Year's Eve things with uh, First Night with Artsplosure. We'd find out what their theme was, and then we'd write a show that could move the audience around the space. This is once we you know, started making plays. We loved the concept of being able to share a meal together. You know, New Year's Eve was always, if you're going to take New Year's Eve to make a play, well, you need to, it's New Year's Eve, darn it. So... Everybody comes to dinner. You know, we, we, I, I always say, I really just want to be the cruise director. <laughs> but where we would know that, you know, you would go to the show, we would, we would work it out, but we would make sure that there was somebody there to take there, that was somebody's job to be in charge of all of the kids for the night to take them to be able to share that New Year's Eve with the parents. And then we would all have a big kind of family dinner together. When we started making plays in 2014, Sue Scarborough, who's been around for a long time in this area, she came to me with this idea of a play that that um, moved around the warehouse district and called Moving Pieces. 
and I wasn't familiar with immersive theater at that time or, or site-specific thing. We've never had a building when we first started this project. We thought, well, what we'd love is to have a community center. So, you know, people can go get coffee and they can be on Wi-Fi and we can feed everybody dinner while there's theater going on and classes and rehearsals and all that stuff. But as it turned out, our first show was one where our spaces were the CAM offices. It was Cirque du Vol studio. It was the lobby of the Hue. Uh, and the audience just moved from, from place to place. So it gave us an opportunity to get to know business owners in the area, to connect with them and say, okay, would you be willing to share your space with us for one night? We did it. It was a Friday. It was like first Friday for the summer. So we did three runs. And the business owners, because this was still new in in town at that time, were like, this is kind of weird and I don't know, but okay, we'll give it a shot and see how it plays out. And because it was once a month, everything changed from month to month, which was even more interesting and exciting. So we would be at VAE uh, in one scene and at Visual Art Exchange, whatever exhibit was up, that was the backdrop for your scene that month. The next time you went in, it was something completely different and you had to deal with it. We were not improvising dialogue. It was a great script written by uh, Logan Sutton, um, who was a former student of Sue's uh, and Low Kid, a Raleigh native who's up north now. And but all of the characters interacted in the space as if that's where they really worked. Mm-hmm. So Paige Pergar, she shared the role with, with Laura Levine because it's, it's a summer. You, you know, everybody's booked around mm-hmm. here. So everything was double, sometimes triple cast just because we needed to share those roles to make it viable and make it you know, feasible for the actors. But, you know, her character was an art, a performance artist who worked at the CAM. And so we weren't in the museum. We were in her office. Mm-hmm. That was really cool. We would have scenes outside of bars, and then patrons would, you know, lean up against the windows trying to figure out what was going on, not knowing they became part of that scene. Oh, I see. Uh, which was even, you know, we couldn't have asked for better things. Um at one point at, at VAE, there was uh, one of the exhibits, because we would do two shows a night. One of the exhibits was rat pinatas. And rat pinatas? Uh-huh. Okay. Rat pinatas. <laughs> and the best part was we had two shows. And so before the, for the first show, they were just giant rats hanging from the ceiling. And it was uh, Brian Yandel was a part of it, Lucius Robinson, uh, great actors, Jess Barber, Laura Lee Mel, just some amazing people that can hang. You know, they you got to be able to hang when you walk into your scene and there's giant rats hanging <laughs> from the ceiling and they couldn't change the dialogue and they didn't have to. They just made it work within the scene for the first show. And then, of course, there's a sign on the wall that says at X o'clock, rat pinatas will be destroyed. So for the second show, they are rolling around on the floor, you know, in rat guts. <laughs> Couldn't change the dialogue, didn't have to change the dialogue. It just worked. And so for us, it it was exhilarating. I mean, it was ridiculously fun. You got to see people 
use their improv skills without changing words. We had scenes for that particular show. You know, there was a scene in a car. It would it would pour down rain, and and we're all communicating online. Mm-hmm. You know, just via text and group me going, okay, it's pouring down rain. I remember getting a text from my husband who was playing upright bass, saying, "Does anybody know where my scene is? Because uh. it's pouring down rain." And we're like, "Yep, you got about three minutes." Haul your big old upright bass down to the basement of the cam. We'll set you up in a corner. It was beautiful. We kept it there for the rest of the run. Hmm. So being able to be flexible and figure out the technology, in that sense, the first performance, the actors, we knew that we had actors walking across city streets. And as they, the audience would follow them through the crosswalk, we knew that the uh, you know the characters were texting to meet at a different corner or whatever. We're like, well, we got to let the audience in on the texts. Never occurred to us that the audience would text back. Hmm. And it became a whole different play when we realized they were texting the characters. They were responding to the characters. And it was like watching people live tweet. You know, at that time I said, it's like live tweeting how I met your mother. Hmm. Um, because they were responding to what the character said. And that never, that was totally organic, not planned, wish I made it up. But, at, you know, the second show, we said, okay, everybody, instead of turning your phones on, turn them off, turn them on. Hmm. Let it let it ding, let it buzz. So as soon as a character would say something ridiculous, everybody's phones would go ding, 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 ding. And, you, and it was its own Greek chorus, yeah. as, you know, Byron said in a review once there. You know, because people were commenting, oh, no, she didn't, you know, as as it was going on. So so the audience was sharing in that experience. Their dialogue online became, you know, in our tweets, whatever, or um, their comments became part of the show that we didn't expect. So, you know, we've shared roles. We share space. We we share that dialogue and um, any opportunity. And, and story is huge. We do a lot of historical things. So now we've we've gotten in the past uh, three or four years where we're partnering a lot with the city of Raleigh. We partner with the city of Raleigh Museum. They're some of our favorite humans ever. Uh, and we work with the North Carolina History Museum to, to tell stories. Um, so a lot of our arts integration things for our students and our family pieces are history-based. So we, we, you know, we try to get to, to tell stories that haven't necessarily been told before, which is fun. There are so many things I love about the way that you approach this work. The first thing is that I imagine for the people who work with you who do have children or other familial obligations, theater does not become the enemy in the house. I know for me, when I was doing theater, my children were very young. They're still very young. But theater was not met with a lot of joy from them. When I said I was going to go do theater, it was like, oh, you're doing theater again. And then they would be crying. And then I would feel yes. bad to leave the house. And, and, and I yelled at everyone as I left my house yes. this morning, just to be clear. Okay. <laughs> so if they're listening to this, this is my public apology right. to all of them. As I'm yelling at an 11-year-old, somebody make me coffee right. because I'm slow right. now that I'm injured. Right. But yeah. But it was, you know, it was something that I really liked to do. They had no concept of what I was going off to do. It just meant that we were being separated, and it was something that we could not share with each other. I couldn't explain it. They couldn't experience it because I was always doing grown-up theater that the kids just couldn't be a part. Yeah, They can't see it, and also they can't hang in that situation. And so I just really appreciate 
uh, the ways in which you support parents exploring what they want to explore as, as creative beings, but also finding ways to include the kids in that experience, which for the people who make it is really joyful and life-giving. And, you know, and, yeah. And, you know, we, we make this thing and then it goes away mm-hmm. and it's just in your gut, but it's, you've created this experience that you've shared with a community, with people that you've gotten close to and you want to be able to tell it and you come home and then nobody gets it. Right. You know? Um, so I love, I get tickled now um, when I see my kids on group chats or online, I find out about what another one of my actor friends is doing from my kid talking to their kid. And they don't go to school together, but I know they made plays together and they didn't really mean to. You know, they're just the seed kids that hung out together. Uh, and it, that part is really, really, really neat. Right. Um, this summer, we had the glorious experience of uh, Dustin Britt directed a Miracle Worker. Yeah, I saw that. And oh, I took okay. and I took cool. my daughter. Oh, and she loved it. Good. It was so I'm fun. so glad. And it was, you know, it very that was the first show that we've done that was, you know, that was not Shakespeare, that was not written by us. Everything is written by us. And so when Dustin came to me, you know, my heart goes, oh, that costs a lot of money, Dustin. <laughs> um but knowing that from a concept he wanted to tell the story in a spa- in a historic space. And again, the city of Raleigh has been so incredibly kind and gracious and honest. And they will go, um, no, you can't. <laughs> or they will say, sure, let's see. And don't break stuff. And, you know, and they're great. We had a wonderful relationship with the caretaker uh, there at, um, at the Borden House. And it was such a beautiful piece. But to be able to have the Bloom family actually do the show mm-hmm. was so cool and when Dustin first asked me about doing it I said yeah if I get to play Kate because <laughs> you know I have a kid with some medical needs and that's that's kind of been my life just as a mom and to realize that was so not my story to tell it was their story and it was a Bloom family story and my kid got to be in it and you know some of my kids got to be in it and my my big athlete kid he's really good at numbers and so i'm like if you can run a snack bar at the pool you can run the concessions (laughs) and you can do box office and you're big and heavy and can pick up stuff and my husband played in the band yes we just we had a ball and it was such such a beautiful experience so if anybody had told me that you're going to make a play with 30 people in a house half of which are children and a giant dog and you're going to move people through the house, I would have said that's a terrible decision. And I'm, and it's going to rain in a different place every single night. It was never the same twice. We, re, we, we had to re, we literally re-blocked in the middle of the show every night mm-hmm. because you just, you just never knew. And, um, and eventually that was my kid's job. The one show that he wasn't there, he was faster on the internets. So Barbette, Hunter and I would, he was our little meteorologist at home, and Barbette and I would FaceTime Max and say, okay, we need you on the Doppler. Tell us <laughs> tell us on which line it's going to rain. And Max is watching TV, and Barbette and I are just trying to move stuff. And it was it was a hoot, but it, it keeps you on your toes. And I think because we, we broke all the rules to start with, because all of us are trained in traditional theater. Uh, it was it was great, you know, and it's a different acting style. Mm-hmm. It's it's very much, you know, that heightened reality. It's like live TV. Leanne Hines was doing a piece. We did it at SparkCon one year, and then we did it at, in the parking lot at RLT. It takes place in a car, 
and it was a, it's a great little short play. And I remember people coming up at SparkCon saying, are you shooting a reality show? And we're like, no, but that's what it looks like. Right. It looks like film because it has to be small enough that the audience believes you because they're sitting at the table or they're sitting in the car with you um, or on the R line. We've done, you know, done play on a bus. They've got to be able to believe it. But then it has to be interesting enough that they know that if you burst into song, they're going to buy it and right. it's still okay. And so, yeah. Well, here's here's what I think about this. Tell me what you think. What I think links the work that you do, in addition to the incredible flexibility that you show as a company in the way that you approach your projects and the projects that you accept and take on and the, the model of rehearsal style, and is, is also this acceptance of the reality oh. that we live in. So not only the reality of what it means to be an artist parent, but the reality of what is happening around us in the world, especially when you're doing site-specific work, when things like weather will affect it, when you have actual live people who can participate and how that changes things. So it's this sort of radical acceptance of the reality within which we create. And you've kind of embedded this in your company. And I love that. It's fun. We, um, New Year's Eve is always a day, you know, we, we did that for four years and, um, and hope that, you know, we get to do it again. And it's so much fun. One day we made a list of, we, we, we communicate through the group me app. Sometimes when we're connecting to the audience, we'll run it off of Twitter. So the audience can tweet in Sir Walter Raleigh. He's always in all of our plays for no good reason. He just shows up, (laughs) but they can tweet with, you know, whoever Sir Walter Raleigh is tweeting because that's just funny. But there's always the group the group text communication because we're across a city block and mm. it's how, you know, sketchy Wi-Fi is our killer. And so making sure that everybody is staying in connection because there is no headset. You know, we've we've had really great artistic production managers uh, in the process that, you know, can call the cues, so to speak, from from one space because a lot of our shows rotate. So there may be four hosts. So there's four shows running at a time, you know, different tracks. And so we've got an APM that that is running a track. But on New Year's Eve there they have a parade. You know, so we would get we would get notes on the group me that are like, I need you to hold for six minutes because the parade just interrupted the last seat or somebody just ran up and tried to interrupt a fight scene because they thought they were really getting hurt or it's New Year's Eve and there's vomit in my space. What do I do? We're like, don't step in the vomit. I don't know. Um, Continue. So just move on. Right. Right. Because, yeah, you do have to deal with all of that weird environmental stuff and really think on your feet and trust one another, trust one another. And for the littles, you know, I work as much as possible with the kids just as a teacher. And then in this whole share the show process is is it's teaching them flexibility. It's teaching them creativity. You cannot just check out and sit on your phone. You got to be ready because – at any moment, it's going to rain and you're in charge of the dog. And you've got to figure out how you, at 11, are going to do the same job that a grown-up does mm-hmm. and make it work, mm-hmm. you know, and trust and listen. And so that part is that part's re- is really cool. It's fun to watch the kids learn. Uh, we've started now doing more site-specific things with our kids there now are that you know we've been teaching for a few years now they've come to see our stuff so we're now starting to put our kids 
in these shows where they're learning this new style mm-hmm. of how do I how do I be Helen Keller when the audience is sitting next to me and right. um, Helen little Havana Bloom um, just a beautiful little actress so good she at the dinner table scene she hurled a fork across the stage and pegged my mom oh. who's sitting so I'm like on the one hand I'm going oh mom I'm so sorry and oh gosh I'm so glad it was my mother right and uh, and so mom says to to Havana after the show she's like sweetheart that was so wonderful but you have to look where you're throwing Havana did not miss a beat and she's like I- I'm I'm blind. We were like, touche. Right, right, right. But it was awesome because right. she was totally in it. Yeah. Uh, you know, so that part, that part's really cool. But we did a piece with our kids last year where they had to write uh, a piece about downtown Garner. There's a train in downtown Garner. And um, so our class, one of our homeschool classes out there uh, for the Tar Heel Junior Historian Association, the Museum of History, they, we, we were part of that community and um program they had to write a piece that had to do with anybody who think got on and off the train they had to pick characters who they think could have gotten on and off the train in 1919 that was the deal and so they did all this really fun research and they had you know uh doctors or 1918 so it was people that there were doctors at rex that uh, were dealing with spanish flu there were people coming back soldiers from our area from clayton and smithfield and garner area that served in in World War One. Um, there was a new teacher ridge across the street, so it was mm. new teachers that were coming and staying at the boarding house. And there's a boarding house that's still owned by the family, and they let the kids go in and you know walk through their house and do all the stuff. It was so cool. The town of Garner was just amazing to let the kids wander up and down Main Street for weeks, mm. and they and so they got to perform in all of the different spaces, and it was the first immersive and site-specific piece that we did solely with kids. Mm. So it was a really great experience. And so a lot of those kids have gone on then to, you know, did Miracle Worker and have done some of our museum shows and and that kind of thing because they're understanding this is a new style and you don't have to just assume that it's going to happen in in brick and mortar. You're going to get to do that too, but, you know, in a traditional stage. But we want them to be able to learn how to do this and deal with audience up close and personal. I'm going to list out what I think are the pillars of Seed Art Chair. Seed focuses on site-specific, immersive plays, arts integration classes, and supporting parents working in the arts. That's a lot. Mm-hmm. And now my understanding is that you are being given the opportunity to create more custom pieces. People are calling you all and saying, you know, can you write a piece for, for my office? Can you write a piece for my museum? Can you attend this conference and write a piece? So this is quite a wide range, a breadth of work. How do you approach planning your season or your calendar? Well, and because we also have to deal with real life, like, you know, broken legs and um, things like that. Because we value that, you know, it's saying my kid is sick and knowing, okay, we, we'll roll, we'll figure that out. One of the things that we do because we know there is so much incredible theater opportunities in this area, everybody's booked. Everybody works all the time. So we 
do what we we say it's theater on a film schedule. You know, a lot of times our plays are short. We don't, you know, Miracle Worker was a full length play. Mm-hmm. Even Midsummer was a ninety minute cut, and we had three directors, so we we put it up in three weeks. Where we had it was like a three ring circus, where the mechanicals are working with Ian directing over here, and the lovers and the humans are working with Sue here, and the kids are being choreographed by Sarah Jo Berman in this part of the theater. So then we put it all together mm-hmm. um, because. We know everybody is booked, and so that that makes it difficult when we get these last minute. You know, this week we got a call for can you put a piece up July twenty something, and it's a great opportunity. And I don't want to say no until I know we can't do it, and I really want us to be able to do it. We try to do at least one original a year. Um, last year we did Tales and Fermentations, which Alan Mall wrote. We interviewed different brewers mm-hmm. in Raleigh. And with Raleigh, uh, you know, starting with the the legend of Isaac Hunter's Tavern and it, you know, being about it becoming the state capital because it had to be within 10 miles of this bar. Uh, the city of Raleigh was museum was great and we did it over there. And so we we were able to say, OK, we know this weekend in April, which is beer month, which was Brugaloo, which was, you know, all those crazy things downtown. We were going to do Tales and Fermentation, and it had it featured, I guess, four different brewers, um, plus telling the history of Raleigh mm-hmm. being the capital, and doing a beer tasting as a part of that, and it all it all you know rolled together. So we knew that was the one original piece we were going to do, and then we were going to put a put a Miracle Worker in the summer. This year we've got a piece that Ian Finley has written that is brilliant, and we're just you know we're it's got to be the right venue, and so um, we have a tentative date, but we honestly I don't have a venue yet, and I'm not willing to waste it because uh, it's so bloody smart um, that it it's not a gimmick. It's a it's a great play. It's mm-hmm. a really great play that would be really cool on stage, but it's so much cooler if the audience is watching it from two different apartments. And crossing and moving and that kind of thing. And I don't want to waste it till I know we've got the right space. Mm-hmm. So what happens is we know that we've got these potential standing gigs um, with the city or with different museums or, or whatever that we try to go ahead and, and work around. And if we know that they are, if they, you know, for whatever reason, their programs change or we decide we want to reinvent the wheel and do something a little different. We've done a summer show at the City of Raleigh Museum every year for the past three or four years where we're going to try something different this fall. Um, Being able to change is important. And then we had a, we had a, we work with Irregardless Cafe uh, last summer. We did a piece with Irregardless last year about vegan and veganism and, and vegetarianism that was crazy fun. And so we were looking at doing another piece this year. They had life change and um, some things changed there. So we were like, well, okay, that's going to look different. We're working with Women's Theater Festival this summer on a on a history piece on um, history of American women that were tied to Dorothea Dix uh, loosely that hopefully eventually is going to be part of a larger piece uh, just about the life and work of Dorothea Dix, mm-hmm. who is someone I'm incredibly passionate about. We have to just be, we have to be flexible and know that if if we're going to be at Mordecai or going to be at the museum, you know, in the fall or this kind of thing, we go ahead and try to book everybody as soon as we can and get that lined up and then know that, okay, you may get two weeks. We may get a script and then we got two weeks, but it's going to be a short piece. And the expectation is you're going to come in, you're going to know your lines. We're going to block it. 
really fast and then we're going to do it and um because we know everybody's booked and if it means that you can only do three of the shows then we're going to pull in somebody else to do the other show Uh, and that's just how that we just knowing that those are the parameters Mm -hmm. um i would never do that (laughs) like the things that we do there's a lot of times i would never tell another director Mm -hmm. i can do four of the plays right Uh, but because we know that that's that's how it's always been um it's okay right and it's hard and it can be really frustrating and really scary sometimes we want everybody to get to work you know you this is a difficult place to make a living as an actor we want people to be able to work Mm -hmm. as as much as possible so if we can pull in really great folks for two weeks i say you know it's like theater on a film schedule Mm -hmm. if we can get you in for a little bit and you can make it happen bring it well, this idea of, you know, role sharing or sharing the director position, shorter, kind of abridged rehearsal schedules where you're not learning your lines in the room, but you're coming. Like you can do that in your own time where you only have, a, you know, a weekend of performances as opposed to three big weekends that are totally booked. Um, and a lot of that has to do with the space, right. too, because we're also, you know, it's not our theater. Mm-hmm. So they've got a wedding booked or uh, we did when we did Midsummer, you know, we didn't have a Saturday night show at RLT because they had a wedding booked. So we went and and did uh, pieces of the show at Adam Cave's gallery who had a Midsummer exhibit. And mm. it was super cool um, because we just got to go somewhere different and do it. And it was great. So and you, you also know. partner with other companies to yeah, kind of share always. the load and, and locations, yes, which always. I imagine really helps. Yes. And it's fun. We like to work in places that not everybody knows. Um, we have a fundraiser that's coming up in a, in a couple of weeks at uh, the Jocelyn Garden, um, which is part of the City of Oaks Foundation. And it's this incredible, like, four-acre space that I never knew existed uh, in the middle of a neighborhood near Five Points and Glenwood out that way. And it is just lovely. And they've bent over backwards. And uh, so we're we're doing a piece where we're putting our writers in a room. And you can bid for them to write you a monologue in 30 minutes or write you dialogue or write you a sonnet or whatever, and then we'll perform it. Mm-hmm. And so in the meantime, there's music and there's student performances and things like that. Um, but I think that's going to be a ton of fun to watch them write on the fly. And, mm-hmm. you know, yeah. So final question as we wrap up. You have so much on the horizon for this company that I hesitate to ask this, but I'm going to ask it because I know you have such a great imagination. What do you hope for with this company kind of moving forward? Like, what is your vision of the future? I would love to see a space again, not I don't want it. I don't want a theater, but I would love for us to, you know, have space. So all of our stuff is in one place. (laughs) Um, We started as an LLC. So it was my thing. And I want things not in my living room, (laughs) in my car, (laughs) Um, you know, but but a space. So all of our stuff is in one place and we have a great uh, a great rehearsal space, but that there's also coffee. And there, yeah, I care more about the lobby and that's silly, but I love for parents to drive. My kids play sports. They do all those things. I drop them off and I never know anybody else. Part of our goal is for moms and dads and partners to be able to bring their kid to class and their computer or and their other sibs and hang out and have coffee, for goodness sake, and have dinner together and get to know one another and just uh, continue to build that community. 
I would love to see us take on a role in the community in kind of a benevolent sort of way to be able to know that, okay, this person we know in the theater community, their their house had a, you know, they, they've got drama going on here. Their house caught on fire. This, this family's having a baby. This family's they've got medical junk going on. I'd love to be the leaders in, mm-hmm. um, we're such, not we seed, but, but the triangle theater community is so kind as a rule and generous and loving. And there have been people that have taken the lead on that. And, and, uh, and I'd love for that to be part of, of what we continue to do from a community standpoint, um, as an arm of just how do we care better mm-hmm. for, so there is that burnout isn't, some you know isn't assumed mm-hmm. does that make sense yeah but then as we continue with the immersive the immersive work it's not new you know people are doing it it's not just us now and i love that so i'd love to be able to see us do more instruction um from that from an acting standpoint i think we've done some really great work as far as this style of acting which is different um you see a lot of these young kids coming out of school these young kids because younger (laughs) these younger babies um you know but you see the the college kids that are coming out well they've been working in black box so they are good they are really good at that transition we've got a lot of people here with film acting experience and doing more work on studying that style just mm-hmm. of, of immersive theater and doing that kind of work from an educational standpoint. And for me, I want to educate parents. I, I grew up in Raleigh theater when there were no classes. It, you know, you wanted to be in a play, you auditioned for Christmas Carol in the 70s and the 80s. And that was kind of it. Mm-hmm. And now there's a class on every corner. But if you've got a parent, like I'm a baseball mom that doesn't know squat about squat, except my kid comes home dirty. Right. How do you educate drama parents to make sure that they're really schooling their kid the right way, right. that they're helping them as they're figuring out what college looks like, finances, uh, all all of those things. You know, I, I like to work with the grownups. I mean, I'd like to, you know, continue to train teachers and, and work with parents mm-hmm. in that end. And um, yeah, and just continue with the continue with immersive theater um Getting, getting in more venues from a marketing standpoint. You know, we do a lot of stuff where we're in an office and then afterwards are with the brewers and we realize we kind of just made a commercial right. for your brewery. And how can we how can we make that a viable financial thing? How do we do? So um, so we're talking with some, some companies about experiential marketing now that that's becoming a thing. Mm-hmm. It's live theater that's that's a part of events, but calling it what it is and, and you know. Right. So I don't know. Oh, that's so exciting. So I can't wait to it's see. It's a lot. It's a lot. Right now I'm tired and I have a broken leg. <laughs> so. Well. <laughs> it's okay. Thank you so much <laughs> for this conversation. For, for your your generosity and your leadership and your vision, I'm I respect what you do and I I thank you so much for it. Thanks. Come play with us. I will and bring your kids. I will absolutely. <laughs> Thanks again. Hey friends, I want to tell you about Shadowbox Studio, where this episode was recorded. Shadowbox Studio is Durham's flexible, rentable art and activity space. Shadowbox is perfect for video and photo shoots recording podcasts like this one, and holding movie screenings, classes, spy club meetings, or whatever else you can dream up. Find out more at shadowboxstudio.org. And here's a secret. 
If you tell them you heard it on Artist Soapbox, you'll get a $25 discount on your first rental. Isn't that awesome? <laughs>